it snowed a lot here. Oh. I think last week. Mm. And the apartment building that I live in, presumably, it says in my lease that they take care of snow removal. Uh, The practicality of that has been a little bit iffy. Mm -hmm. But um, we got like a, a lot of snow, like two feet of, I mean, not a ton of snow, but like two yep. feet of snow. And there's four cars in our driveway. So like not a lot of space to put that. Yep. Um, so we've basically all just piled the snow into little mountains in between our cars. Uh, <laughs> so I do also have uh, a garage, some might say. Wow. You Others got- might argue that it's made of snow and doesn't have a roof. But I, you've got a carport. Can't see the difference. It is a little dock. Exactly. The marina. The marina for your car. Amazing. Our anti-capitalist show, where we talk about all the places that art and science intersect. Mm-hmm. And I'm Lauren. And I am... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lee, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> and I never will be. I didn't I didn't know what I was going to say, but you, you, you were wrapped up in the fiction that I was weaving. <laughs> but I was not going to say anything. <laughs> Oh, uh, I think I am sorry is a really good. <laughs> I am sorry. Just blank, just like a blanket apology. Mm-hmm. My bad. Sorry. Not mine though. Sorry. Not sorry. We're talking about underwear. Yeah. This week. Mm-hmm. It's going to get real frisky real it's fast. It's going to get real wild. <laughs> We're both wearing underwear and also other clothes. <laughs> I can't believe you'd make such a blanket statement about know, me. It's a bold accusation. When all you can see from me is shoulders up. Mm-hmm. I am wearing underwear. I'm also wearing underwear. And also other things on my body. And also all, all of our clothes. This is not a video episode. We will not be streaming this one on our Twitch stream. No. <laughs> is Arthur wearing underwear? <laughs> He's not. Mm. It's probably for the best. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to handle the responsibility. <laughs> the, the responsibility of wearing underwear. <laughs> yeah. There's an inherent responsibility to wearing underwear. It's why we don't give it to babies. <laughs> right i am right i didn't mean to be right when i said it but i was no No, you're correct funny how that works out sometimes huh yeah so this this might be a little bit of a stretch on my end again this week oh god okay um but something that i learned recently that i really want to explore is that corsets weren't quite the patriarchal torture devices that we've come to believe they were it's an um, undergarment. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit out there, but we'll pretend. Um, it's like we all watched the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and then the rest has just been revisionist history. Um, mm, and like the, that's the two periods of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pre and and post. Yeah. <laughs> 
Before B- Caribbean era. Yes. And <laughs> BC. BC. After Davy Jones's locker. Um, and like, that's the corset scene that I remember, but corsets are a recurring prop in period pieces used specifically in that same way to drive home the point that women are in some way oppressed, mm. um, that they're being over-sexualized, that their desires are restricted, they're not in control of their own lives, they're literally getting the life squeezed out of them. It's a really strong visual, and mm-hmm. it's a really good tool to use to talk about the way that women were treated during those periods and the way that women in different classes were treated during those periods. Mm -hmm. It's just not necessarily accurate because women and girls, and in some cases men and boys, wore corsets consistently for a solid 400 plus years of Western history. So let's talk about corsets. Let's do it. Let's do it. And just a quick disclaimer, I am going to be talking about fashion and I am going to be talking about gendered fashion. So I am just going to go ahead and use the overarching term women to describe these garments and the people wearing them. That is because of just the nature of the beast and the way that it is described in the world of gendered fashion and not necessarily because that is reflective of the actual human experience. All of that stuff. So... Corsets first start to show up in earnest in 16th century Europe. Uh, Similar garments have existed prior to this, dating all the way back to 1600 BCE. Uh, But the first corset that resembles something we would recognize today arrives on the scene in Italy and France in the 1500s. They're structured initially with whalebone. They have shoulder straps. They extend the length of the torso. Whalebone continues to be a pretty common material for the stays, which are the solid pieces that run through the corset, but steel Mm -hmm. also becomes popular for that use, and new features continue to get added periodically. (laughs) What's happening to you? (laughs) You said steel, and all I could think of was like the Twin Tower. (laughs) Impervious Mm. to jet fuel. Oh my god. Corsets. Corsets. Um, Sorry. That's a a wild first place to go when you hear the word steel. Not Pittsburgh, not John D. Rockefeller, not not, stainless, not not kitchen appliances, the Twin Towers. Oh, God. All right. Interesting. I did learn a little bit about them today for my. Oh. I didn't write it down, but it is related. Okay, well, you do have to come back to that now because I have I to will. know will, how underwear is relevant to the <laughs> Twin Towers. Um, well, you, you just did it. You said underwear, corsets, steel, Twin Towers. Yep, yep. that is true. Yeah. Um, so new features get outed um, sort of throughout the history of corsets. Um, Metal eyelets get added in the 1800s and they make lacing the corset a much better process, more like lacing sneakers than having to like lace up boots with the the sticky outy guys. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. And uh, elastic gets added to the fabric of the corset when that's invented in the 1920s, gives them a little bit more give, makes them a little bit more flexible. And I'm sort of assuming as I'm talking about all of this that you've seen a corset at some point and have some frame of reference for what I'm talking about. Uh, But they are undergarments historically worn predominantly by women. They covered much more of the torso than bras do now, but serve sort of a similar purpose. Um, They're actually a little bit more akin to shapewear. They Mm -hmm. laced up fairly tight to provide support and form the wearer's figure. Mm -hmm. And if you've seen a period piece, it's the thing all the women are wearing on their upper bodies. Um, 
I think that's a fairly standard definition of a corset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the other thing is the shape of corsets changes a lot throughout their history as the quote unquote ideal female body changes. And something I would have never picked up on myself, but is apparently like very obvious to experts in the field, is when costume designers for period pieces have and have not done their research because of how drastically the shape of corsets changed from one era to the next. Mm, Interesting. I actually read a really scathing review about the use of corsets on Bridgerton, which Mm. I have not watched Bridgerton. Um, I don't really plan to. But it has one of those corset scenes where a young woman is being oppressively tight laced into a corset. But because Regency dresses weren't fitted, they were empire line, meaning they're cinched right below the boob line. And then below that, the fabric is like looser and flowier. There's no defined waist. There's no point to that scene because once the dress is on, you're not going to see that extra definition. (laughs) So that wouldn't have been a commonplace practice. It's just sort of completely out of place being used there um, if you are in the know and if you know what you're actually talking about when it comes to corsets and their history. Hmm. But overall, the, the shape of the corset changed quite a bit. Um, from sometimes elongating the torso, other times cinching the natural waist into an hourglass shape, which something I didn't realize before this was as fashion changed, the waistline, so the place the corset is cinched the tightest, moved. It wasn't always situated right at your natural waist. Sometimes it was higher, sometimes it was lower. So you weren't just compressing your natural figure inward equally you were reshaping your whole body wow yeah which i like i'm gonna get into like the controversy of like whether corsets were actually super terrible and like as bad as we (laughs) taught as bad as we think they were but like Mm -hmm. that seems less than ideal if you're you know not doing this in a way that's actually built for your correct proportions um so Corsets start to evolve in the early 20th century. They start to get replaced by girdles, by bras. You start to get undergarments and shapewear that are kind of just a mishmash of all of these things put together. Uh, And by the 1960s, the everyday corset is kind of out of the game for good. As far as we are currently recording this in February (laughs) of 2021. Um, There are still people who wear them. The corset has had a place in high fashion and lingerie forever. It will probably continue to. People are using them as like waist training, which I don't get into. I would do your own research on that if it's something you're interested in doing. But it'll, I mean, it'll probably continue to be around. We're probably going to continue to use them in some way, shape or form. Um, But why are we so dramatic about how they were used historically? We and live the, for drama. We do. Mm. We do. Especially on this show. So for a really long time, it wasn't a big deal. And we just didn't really care. Um, the timing of the corsets fall from grace really aligns with an overall change in fashion. People were starting to dress down more. There was less and less concern around like showing more skin. It was just like less formal in general the way that Mm -hmm. people were dressing and uh it seems like less of a case of women collectively throwing off their shackles and more like it just didn't fit within society the same way anymore right but we don't tell it that way and the reason as you will probably not be surprised to learn is patriarchy but not necessarily in the way that you'd think i know you're shocked shock 
Is it like the same? Like, like I could see the same thing happening with something like skinny jeans. People are like, mm-hmm. oh, they're so oppressive, and like they were used to like as shackles for women. But like, really, they m- right now might be falling out of style just because they're out of style. Right. Yeah. It's it's sort of like that, and I'm actually the the main. Um, comparison that I have is like the way that people talk about makeup now and the way that specifically Mm. heterosexual cisgender men talk about makeup now is like that like women who wear a lot of it are lying like it Mm -hmm. was it was that same sort of energy that they brought to corsets uh, like a hundred years ago like they were doing the exact same thing they were like oh my god they're lying they're changing their bodies they're Mm -hmm. not being honest about what they actually look like um Mm -hmm. And this was happening at all levels. I mean, like, doctors were arguing that corsets were dangerous. They were claiming that they were causing respiratory diseases, damaging organs, leading to issues with pregnancy and the health of the developing fetus. But Mm -hmm. aside from, like, extreme cases where women were tight-lacing in unhealthy ways or maybe in eras Mm -hmm. where corsets were binding the torso into unnatural shapes, that doesn't really seem to have been the case. And this was also coming from men with no medical background, too, uh, not even bothering to pretend that their concerns were centered around women's health. They just mm-hmm. like to make fun of the overaccentuation of women's waists and hips and how artificial and unnatural it was. But corsets, when worn correctly, can actually be really comfortable. And the other thing to remember about corsets is their popularity died out around the time mass production of garments became standard practice. Mm-hmm. So... Before the latter half of the 20th century, most people would either alter their own clothes or have them tailored, and corsets were often specially fitted to an individual. So you wouldn't have like standard sizes for corsets the way we do for bras today. You would have a custom corset that would be built to fit you and your body. Mm. And there's a real argument to be made for corsets over bras in that they distribute support differently. So modern bras support in two places, around your bust line and over your shoulders, so they concentrate pressure in those places. But corsets, on the other hand, function actually a lot more like chest binders. Mm. They distribute that pressure throughout your torso and they keep your back straight, which relieves a lot of the issues that bras create, like pain in your back and your shoulders and Mm -hmm. so forth. And... They also sort of have like a weight belt kind of thing going on. If you're lifting a lot, if you're carrying mm-hmm. a lot of things, you know, they're supporting you in your core. Yeah. And a lot of the pro-corset and anti-corset arguments that I saw really hinged on this comparison to bras with the detractors feeling that bras were more evolved, more freeing, because that's what we're used to. That's what we mm-hmm. use now. And Allegedly. The narr- Allegedly. Um, the narrative that we're used to is we've shed corsets as a relic of a stuffier more oppressive bygone era Mm -hmm. and i want to address that in a second but i also want to address the other argument i saw over and over and over again which was comparing corsets to diet culture as this oppressive tool of modification of conformity to a dangerous and unhealthy standard and that women throughout history and now have just chosen different ways to achieve these societal standards of beauty The tools are different, but in substance, the end result is the same. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about why that rubs me so hard the wrong way. Because first, I think the idea that all evolution, all progress is linear is extremely easy to fall into and extremely dangerous to believe. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. it's easy to look back on the progression of history and say, oh, yeah, you know, of of course, of course that led to this. Mm -hmm. But not of course. (laughs) Never of course. We're not passengers to human history. We're participants. And I think that that's something that's so easy to lose sight of. Just because we're doing something now doesn't mean it's correct. And just because we stopped doing something doesn't mean that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. We we focus a lot on positive change when we talk about history and its progression to the present because it makes us feel good to think that we're better than we were. But then we start to ascribe that model for change even when it's a little bit more complicated, like with corsets, or even when it's maybe a little bit more neutral, like with corsets. <laughs> and my point is... I just don't like this framework that I kept seeing because the choice isn't corsets or bras, even for an individual. It feels really reductive to boil this down to taking one garment and replacing it with another or taking one unrealistic and potentially harmful body standard and replacing it with another. Mm -hmm. Or, at the very least, a different way of achieving it, as though... (laughs) All of that is in some way inevitable and will continue to happen over and over and over again for the remainder of human existence. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think we can think a little bit bigger than that. And I'm not smart. I don't know what that looks like. Um, But I think it's too easy to limit ourselves to the options and the systems that are right in front of us. And if we have two choices and neither of them is working, let's come up with a third. I don't know. Yeah, do it better. Yeah. That's what I have to say about corsets. I, I think that they're probably fine as long as you're wearing them safely. Right. Right. You know, might even be better. And I didn't really have time to get in. Like the other piece that I really wanted to get into was like the history of corsets and the history of shapewear in general and like fat phobia and all of these Mm -hmm. other like really prevalent issues that are definitely tied up. Yeah, absolutely. And I just I didn't have time to get into that. Um, But I think that that's also sort of worth yeah pointing out Maybe you know we'll that underwear we're... part two mm. perhaps the return of the underwear <laughs> we take off one piece one set of underwear and there's another set of underwear <laughs> surprise other it's, a it's underwear belt. all the way down <laughs> Ooh, i should have done chastity belts mm. damn next time next time there's a lot to unpack with underwear yeah i just i want to talk about the chastity belt in um Mad Max Fury Road with the teeth on it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a mm. good one. Sound off in the comments with your favorite chastity belt <laughs> of stage and screen. DM us a pic of your favorite chastity belt. <laughs> I think that, like, the only one that I really remember, I think, is from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm, uh, yeah, that's the other one. That's I, sort that's of the, the other only other one, one that I, like, have an image of in my brain. Yeah. yeah. So... Well, the big two. The big two. So I struggled a little bit this week to find an interesting angle on the science of of underwear. Mostly because all of the, like, articles that I found and scientific studies that I found attempt to answer an age-old question, which is boxers or briefs. Mm. Which, more specifically, more specifically... How does a cis man's choice in underwear affect his fertility, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, I literally couldn't give any less of a shit (laughs) about that. (laughs) Like, who cares? (laughs) Who fucking cares? Yeah. So, the path that I went down was a lot more interesting. Tell me more. 
I found quite a few articles from early 2020 giving heat to period underwear company Thinks mm. for having, quote, toxic chemicals present in their products. Mm. I feel like we've talked a lot about menstrual health related topics on this yeah. show. It's yeah. interesting. It's fascinating. It's because no one else is brave enough to. It's true. <laughs> Y'all a bunch of cowards. Yeah. Talk about periods more. Um, where was I? Sorry, so that, wasn't are... a, that wasn't a specific directive to you. That was to everyone. But also, please <laughs> okay, talk chief, about periods I'll get right more. At it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let me just delete what I did. <laughs> so there's really two types of period underwear that are on the market right now. Uh, one is designed to help keep disposable pads in place they have like a little nook that you slide your pad into so it's not like sliding around on you throughout the day Mm. and the other has its own washable reusable absorbent pad kind of built into the underwear it's not like as thick as traditional disposable pads are but it 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 serves the same purpose basically Mm. so i really wanted to get to like the heart of this controversy right the heart of this toxic chemicals are present in your underwear and like you should throw your period underwear away and look for organic options like like there were articles that literally said that Mm. so thinks underwear specifically and others on the market like it consist of several layers the bottom layer which is the layer that's closest to your pants is a moisture impermeable layer so like it doesn't leak straight through underwear into your clothing Mm -hmm. Um, above that is a moisture absorbent layer so that's you know it absorbs all the the menstrual fluid and and holds it there and then the top is a moisture wicking layer so that's the layer that's closest to your body and that obviously wicks the the menstrual fluid away from your body into the absorbent layer and the impermeable layer stops it from going any further Uh so this whole kind of I don't want to call it a controversy, but it kind of is a controversy. Started in January of 2020 when Sierra, the national magazine of the Sierra Club, published an article, which is, I'm going to start by saying, it's a weird source for this to come from. Yeah. An, in, an environmental activist group. Right. Is like where this started. Right. I, have they said anything about Tampax? Like, have they have they come for always? Are they? <laughs> See, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't are, know. It was just, it was written by this woman, um, Jesse and Choi, and it was, it's like it, it was a piece to to start something, basically. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna get a little bit more into that, but yeah. uh, she claimed that Thinks underwear had chemical compounds known as PFAS, PFAS, in them after she sent an unused pair that she had to a nuclear scientist at Notre Dame for examination. Mm. PFAS are per and poly fluoral alkyl substances. So basically organic molecules that have, and then I didn't finish the sentence in my notes. So they're basically organic compounds that have, instead of a bunch of hydrogens on the ends of the carbons, they have fluorine. Mm, okay. And there are man-made chemicals that have been manufactured in the U.S. since the 1940s. I don't know if you remember, in, like, 2019, there was a movie called Dark Waters, and it was about the lawsuit against DuPont for, like, polluting the water source of a West Virginia town. Mm, 
Mm, no, I don't. I didn't see it, but it was definitely something that I want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, that was a component of that lawsuit was the, the PFAS present in the water. They're considered to be persistent and don't break down, meaning that they can bioaccumulate and accumulate in your body over time if you eat mm. them, if you ingest them or inhale them. Okay. They can be found in actually many common things. So food packaging with PFAS-containing materials. And this is kind of a, a touchstone of Choi's argument in her article. Other commercial household products, uh, drinking water, if your house is located near an industry that handles them, workplaces that handle them, and living organisms can also contain them through bioaccumulation. So if you eat the fish out of right. the stream that you live on. Yeah. It's like the mercury and shrimp. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Choi's article from the Sierra Club argues that if there's PFAS present in your Thinks underwear, they'll be absorbed through your skin and accumulate in your body and have the known and studied health effects on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there, there's health effects associated with ingestion and inhalation of PFAS, things like thyroid issues, pregnancy complications, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did some digging, and the things that I could find from like a chemical exposure standpoint is that the main route of exposure for PFAS for people of all ages is actually through ingestion. Um, that's because the highest concentrations of them exist in water sources contaminated by industries. Mm. So activities like brushing your teeth with contaminated water, eating off a dish that was washed with water that's contaminated, they'll all lead to ingestion and accumulation within your body. So if you're one of the poor communities that lives downstream from DuPont, then these chemicals are accumulating within your body. Right. The second route of exposure is through inhalation which is rare for individuals that are not working directly with PFAS-related industries. Mm-hmm. So this is mostly like workplace exposure. If you're exposed to it at work, you're likely inhaling it. Mm-hmm. So these two routes of exposure are the ones that health impact studies are based on. So we know that the health complications that come along with the accumulation through inhalation and ingestion lead to thyroid issues, pregnancy complications, etc., etc., cancer, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I guess um just as a note for for knowledge's sake, there are four main routes of chemical exposure within your body. Um inhalation and ingestion, which we talked about both of those. Um another one is injection, so if you get a cut and it gets some chemical on it that would be considered injection like things that are directly into the bloodstream and the fourth is absorption so actual absorption through the skin so the agency for toxic substances and disease registry which is a sub agency of the cdc says quote studies have shown that only a small amount of pfas can get in your body through your skin therefore showering and bathing in water containing pfas should not increase exposure Washing dishes in water containing PFAS should not increase exposure. Unless you then eat off of those dishes, Yes, presumably. unless you then, like, eat off of them right away, yeah. And that's, like, submerging yourself, submerging your skin mm-hmm. in 
in water containing PFAS. Right. I mean, I guess for a shorter period of time, but like a much larger surface area. Right. Right. And, and I would, I would argue probably a much higher concentration. Right. Yeah. There have been some studies in the last three years that have shown not insignificant absorption through the skin of rats, but like they expose the rats to so much PFAS. Like, just, like, a serum of it just mm. slathered onto them. Yeah. That, like, it's such a high exposure that, like, you're never going to come across that in, like, in your yeah, life. Yeah, you're never going to encounter that in the wild. Right. Unless something has gone horribly wrong. Exactly. So, where I kind of landed on on this is that even if they are present, let's, let's start with they are present in your Think's underwear. Mm. I think that it's unlikely that it's going to absorb into your body or you're going to have like any significant level of exposure to those chemicals into your body that it's going to to cause health complications by wearing your your thinks underwear for a couple days at a time right thinks responded actually by commissioning outside experts to test their underwear and those experts did not find any traces of pfas in their products Mm. okay um, and they also released that they're working to expand their list of quality testing for specific chemicals and developing a more robust safe chemicals policy across their product lines. Mm-hmm. So just like knowing what's in their products, which like, that's good. That's great. Yeah. Maybe start um, there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe start there. And I think like that's another part of this whole puzzle. This whole problem is that it's not a super well-regulated industry, right? right? Your your menstrual products don't come with ingredient lists, usually. Um, and if they do, they're usually not complete because some things are proprietary. Right. So that's, that's like another part of, of the problem. So having all of this knowledge, I went back and did some research on the author of the article, mm. Jesse and Choi, and the researcher... Graham Peasley. And really all I have to say about them is that they seem to be mm, making money in their respective fields under the guise of environmentalism and like consciousness for chemical exposure by playing into sensationalism, making kind of science-adjacent claims, um, at least in the case of Jesse and Choi, the article author. Mm. I, like, I don't really doubt that this sitting professor at Notre Dame is doing bad research because, um, like, he is pretty widely published. But in the case of the author of the article, publishing it in a magazine that most people would think of as being, like, the pinnacle of environmentalism, a magazine that listens to science and understands science and would promote things that are scientifically sound... It it seems a little problematic to me. Uh Like, the researcher, as far as I could tell, didn't really even do an actual scientific study on the underwear. Like, it seemed like he just was like, yep, I have this machine or this this process that I've used to to trace these PFAS and other things. Let me just stick the underwear in here. Yep, oh, there is some in here. Here you go. Right. Um, And was it unopened? Was it, you know, one sample? Like, what? Exactly. They, here's the other thing. This is just a sidebar. Mm-hmm. They said that, like, they found zinc and copper, these antimicrobial metals in in the underwear. 
and they're like, that's bad because it's going to leach up in your into your it's body gonna disrupt the ph of your vagina like what like like that kind of bullshit right okay and it's like no it's not <laughs> it was like it's gonna leach up in there which it already has like a healthy biome and it's gonna be antimicrobial to it and like there was one quote that was like i don't understand why it needs to be antimicrobial to begin with and i was like are you kidding me are you kidding me because it's f- gross right it's blood because it's it's human tissue right it was it was once living tissue and like funguses or bacteria are still very much alive Uh not probably not funguses but bacteria is probably still very much alive Uh in that material and it's going and it's going to be warm and it's going to be dark and it's going to be full of nutrients and things are going to grow in there if you don't have Right. Antimicrobial things in your in your underwear. Right. And that will then actually disrupt the biome in your vagina. Like Yes. Oh my gosh. Um That's a reach. So it's it's all very like woker than thou kind of energy. Like I don't know. She kept comparing it to this other brand of like organic ones that didn't have any of these issues, which I don't I don't buy. And yeah, it, it just rubbed me very much the wrong way for this claim and, and this kind of controversy to just be like, you should throw away your period underwear because right you're going to get cancer from it. Right. And and what? Go back to Tampax? You know? Right. Exactly. Like, right. Go back to these other products that are that also have averse health risks. Right. Like, right. There are adverse no- health risks. Like, yeah. It's, it's just know. exhausting. The researcher, I was doing a little bit of, of research on him too. And within the last like six months, he published some article about firefighters' jackets and like fire resistant clothing and how they have PFAS on them and like how his students were like going and testing them and they had to wear gloves because they were worried about the absorption through their hands, blah, blah, blah. Totally, every article I read, like basically 100% disregarded the fact that historically PFAS materials have been active fire suppressant materials Mm. so they've like fire departments and I think it's becoming more and more like banned in different states but fire departments have in the past literally shot PFAS out of a hose at fires Mm -hmm. to stop them so Mm -hmm. like of course, there's going to be these chemicals present right. on the jackets that these people are wearing. Right. The problem but, isn't the jackets. Like, literally. And, and that's the thing. The problem isn't the jacket. The problem is that they're getting cancer because they're breathing it in. Right. Right. Even if they're wearing, you know, oxygen tanks and whatever, like, you're still, you're going to be standing outside of a, a house fire and these chemicals are still going to be floating through the air. Like, you're going to be inhaling them. Yeah. Like, like, I don't, they're not going to be getting cancer from their jackets. Man, good thing that's the only time we've ever used a harmful chemical as a flame retardant. It's true. It's true. Meet cute certified. Only time that's ever happened. So speaking of 9-11. As we always are. So when 9-11 happened, have we done an episode on asbestos? No, we've talked about asbestos a lot, though. That's true. Do we talk about 9-11 and asbestos? No, I don't think so. Okay, so basically the same thing happened with asbestos and also PFAS is when 
literally these giant towers just fell to the ground and disintegrated all of these chemicals were released into the air from them mm. so like asbestos from the insulation pfas from like stain resistant coatings and just present throughout the building in various forms um mm. and also like there were some long-term chemical fires that happened that was not good for the environment so first responders were pretty heavily exposed to them at the time yeah um I don't know. That's why, like, we don't, we focus so much on the, like, individual day that I feel like we don't think a lot about, like, the adverse right environmental impact, the adverse, you know, mm-hmm. the ongoing impact on people who are exposed to mm-hmm. the debris and all of that stuff. Yeah. But that's why I also, f- I also feel like, and this is not really 9-11 related, but I feel like we use our energies in the wrong directions. Like, if I'm a writer writing for the Sierra Club and I want to talk about PFAS, wh- mm-hmm. like, why would I waste my time on period underwear right. when I could be talking about the adverse effects that are felt by people that are working in and around it all day, every day, or right. the ongoing adverse effects from from 9-11 based on them? like uh, Water pollution. Water pollution, yeah. DuPont spilling it into rivers. Like that's where the energy should be directed right it's i mean it's a gotcha for people who are invested in environmentalism like that's that's true that's the value because if you if you've bought things underwear it's presumably because you want to try and move towards sustainable Mm -hmm. menstrual products and you're gonna read this and say oh my god you know this i didn't do what i thought i did right it was published by a sierra club like right it's it's oh wow this is not as endorsed as being environmental anymore right yeah. And it's fr- that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Downer of an ep. <laughs> Sorry to bring it down. Here, I'll fine. just say, here's what I'll leave it with. Just yeah. be just be wary of things that may look rooted in science and rooted in fact, but presented in a sensationalist way. Just be wary of them. Just think of them mm-hmm. with a critical eye. Because like most of these articles that were reporting on this one article that she wrote said like PFAS are known toxic chemicals they're like known for all these health impacts but like because I have a base knowledge in like occupational health I understand that chemicals can enter your body in different ways and have different impacts based on how they enter your body so like right just just you know try to question things that may seem shocking right to you yeah and I think we've talked about this before around like the way that science gets reported Mm -hmm. especially by news outlets um because the role of a news outlet is not to report science the role of a news outlet is to sell the product that they are producing whether that is a magazine a newspaper uh ad revenue from clicks Mm -hmm. however it is that they're making money that's what they actually want to do and that's not a bad thing that's a business model you know Mm -hmm. i I don't love it, but it it is what it is. Yes. But like that's science is often misreported, even by people with the best intentions, mm-hmm. because it is sensationalized. Yep, it's fascinating. Yeah, never would have thought. Thank you for listening, and thank you to She's a Spy for the music that we use at the beginning and end of our show. Uh, we love it very much. We love her very much. You can find her on Spotify by searching She's a Spy. What is this? It's the article. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I'll read it. 
you can find us online at meetcutest.com and also on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at meetcutest. That's true. And if you enjoyed the time you spent with us today learning about underwear of all nature, you can follow and subscribe to us wherever good podcasts are sold. Uh, And you can also rate and review the show most places, definitely iTunes and Stitcher. So if you have not done that and enjoy what we do here, we would really appreciate it if you let us know by just go ahead and click however many stars you think we've earned from you. Thanks. Yes, please. Thanks. Uh, I don't have other thoughts about underwear. I don't either, but I just found another article that she wrote about menstrual cups, so I'm excited to read it. Oh, excellent. Well, we'll report back on that. Next time. Tune in next week. We'll be righteous back next week. (laughs) Will you? Mm -hmm. I think we've tried that before. Oh, have we? Threats. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Threatening threats. (laughs) (laughs) Threatening our audience base. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, my God. Might work this time. We'll see. Bye. Bye.